welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Hello, hello, welcome back. And for those of you who are brand new, thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate your time and we don't want to waste it. So let's get right after it today. I want to talk a little bit more about violence. And I'm going to do this uh, in a little different way than I have recently. Uh, so hang on, let's go for the ride. We'll see where it ends up. Generally, I want to preface before I get going too far. Violence is generally not your best option. It is generally not a great idea. So why am I talking about violence today? Because there are exceptions. And here at Healthy Perspectives, one of the things that we want to do is make sure we don't dodge any of the really difficult conversations ever. I don't want to dodge them. I want to bring you real good therapeutic lens type content on hard topics, right? Therapeutically, I have firsthand seen the after effects of violence, where violence has led people down a path where they are now dealing with trauma, uh, guilt, shame. It's, it's a real ugly, ugly situation. And so for me to sit here and try to explain to you when it's an option is very difficult because from a therapeutic lens, I've just seen so many times where it was used as an option and it was a terrible option. So keep that in mind. Uh, I am not condoning violence. I am simply trying to create the right conversation so that one, we don't dodge hard things, but two, hopefully maybe we walk away and we're asking better questions. Um, when is it an opportunity to have a violent response to a situation and that be not just something I can justify in my mind, but something that in terms of the way we interact with one another is a justifiable offense, essentially. So there we go. Set the table. Let's roll the dice and see where it takes us. Let's start with some low-hanging, easy stuff. At the home. You're in your home. You're minding your own business. You're going about your evening or your day or your morning or whatever. And somebody comes into your home. Is violence okay in that situation? I say this is low-hanging fruit because, you know, obviously if your buddy comes in, no. Like, don't attack them. But if it's a stranger, somebody you don't know, is it an option to be violent? And the answer, unequivocally, is yes. There is this thing called the Castle Doctrine. It's a legal, it's, I'm not a lawyer, but it's legal stuff. Basically, it's, it's, it talks about how we have the right to protect our life and the lives of the others in our home with potentially deadly force. When somebody comes in that does not belong. Now, 
is that the first thing you should do is go straight to let's kill them. I mean, I, I guess it depends, but I would say generally speaking, no. Why? There's a bunch of reasons. Start with number one, what if they accidentally walked into the wrong house and you just open fire, start shooting at them or you, you come at them with a knife? I mean, do you have the right to do that? Uh, yeah, according to the law, but you're supposed to use somewhere between reasonable and deadly force. But what's reasonable when somebody comes into your home? So that's probably not your best bet. Your best bet would be warn them to get out. You entered the wrong house. Please leave immediately. And if they then don't leave, it's different. But what if, you know, they, uh, they come in and they are armed? Do you need to warn them at that point? I, I don't know that I would. Right. And according to the castle doctrine, we have the right at that moment. We we observe a situation in our own home where somebody is there that does not belong and they are armed. I'm not going to be announcing anything. I'm just going to you know, I'm going to go into aggressive mode. And that's not because I'm a violent guy. I'm, I don't think that I'm a violent person. Can I be that way I, in a situation like that? Yeah, I, I most definitely would be that way. Do I want to be that way? No. Here's the reason why. The flip side of that, let's say somebody invades your home and you kill them. Even though you're right, you still have to live with the psychological stuff that happens in your mind, in your heart, in your soul that you took somebody's life, even when it's justifiable, it still takes a toll. And so if there's another way, great, go to it. But if there's not, you absolutely 100% have the right to defend yourself and any of the others that are in your home against somebody coming into your home. Okay. That was the lowest hanging fruit. That, that's so that I can know I get one win out of this little discussion that I'm creating here. What about in the public domain? Is there a, a chance that there is a reasonable violence in the public domain? And the answer to that also, relatively low-hanging fruit. Notice I'm starting with smaller things. All right, I haven't gotten to the really big stuff yet, but the smaller things. You know, you're in a public space. Uh, we'll say in the street, the sidewalk. You know, you're on public land. Can you be violent? Well, there, it, it's not as clear in that domain. So there's a few factors that I would say. Uh, number one is if your life is in jeopardy, in other words, somebody is attempting to kill you, then violence becomes an option. They would call that self-defense. But self-defense has limitations. You can only go to the extent necessary. Well, that is where a lot of question marks can come in. So, Yes, you could be violent in the public domain as a self-defense, 
but only to the extent necessary. And then we enter that gray space of how do we know when it's necessary? You know, somebody looks at my kid funny. Do I have the right to beat them up? Probably not. I would say actually definitely not. But if they come over and they grab your kid, it reaches a different threshold. Now the physical nature of the situation has been escalated and you have the right to respond for safety purposes, but only to the extent necessary to stop the aggression, the situation. And that gets tricky. All right, let's go on to some bigger versions of this. All right, we have... Uh, you know, those of you who uh, you have been with me a long time, this would be going way back. You know that I followed, closely followed, the uh, Rittenhouse case. Now, I know I'm dredging up some old stuff for some of you. You're like, I don't really want to go back to this. But in the end, it was determined by a jury of his peers that he was innocent innocent. Now, there are many people who disagree. There were some questionable decisions on his part. Uh, Clearly, he went there. He was armed. That invites a certain type of person. It attracts a certain type of person to him. But once his life was in danger, he had then the right to respond in the manner in which he did according to a jury of his own peers, which is the way our system in America works. And if you watched the trial, it was all publicly done. They got that decision right. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you think he should have been there or not, taking into all of the accounts, the laws in the land And his decision to act or not to act in certain circumstances. So, legally, they got it right. He's innocent. Now, my guess is, if you followed along in that very difficult situation, that trial, you also saw the psychological effect. Now, many people who are anti-Rittenhouse for whatever reason They look at that breakdown emotional scene um, that is uh, happening in real time. So it's not him pretending it was him. I have been in the room with people who have PTSD, many people, uh, probably in the hundreds of people. And that is how it manifests. That's what it looks like. So whether you agree or disagree, I can tell you from a therapeutic lens, that looked exactly like a genuine, authentic representation of PTSD. And he has to live with that his entire life. Going backwards, that is why when it's somebody coming into my home, if they're unarmed and they, you know, they pose no real threat to me or to anybody in my home, I'm not going to violence immediately. Because I don't want to live with that aftermath. All right. Now we go on. 
Now we get to the, the really hard parts, in my opinion, the really hard parts of this conversation. And for that, I'm going to pull up my handy dandy little phone where I took a few notes and I'm going to go straight to the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and I'm going to add a little caveat here and women, uh, you know, the old, the young, uh, you know, if you are a citizen of the United States, you fall into that men category, all right, are created equal, not the same, but equal in terms of God-given rights. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want to emphasize life. If I take somebody's life, it can only be under the circumstances that it was me or them. According to the, the, uh, the, what I just read you, the Declaration of Independence says, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And life means you have the right to life just as much as me. So the only time I should ever impede in that is if my life is in imminent danger, period. Liberty. This is where it gets tricky. Liberty is what we, we would generally term freedom. So I have the right to freedom. And freedom could mean, so this could be interpreted, that means I can be violent whenever I want. Nope. Let me be really clear. I mean, do you have the option? Yes. Will it come with consequences? Yes. So, yeah, of course, you could choose that because here we don't run around in shackles and chains. And, you know, we, we have the, like, I could get up right now and walk away from this recording. I mean, there's so many options. And the beauty of that freedom is the limitation of that freedom, which means I have to use reasonable decision making because reasonable is what would happen if I were, say, on trial for taking uh, violent acts to your door. I would have a peer trial, some, you know, a group of people who, you know, would take a look at the facts, take a look at the laws and make a decision if that was reasonable violence. Because until it is a reasonable response, it's not acceptable. Just plain and simple. It's not acceptable. All right. <clears throat> so then I go, all right, that's good. That's good. Like, all right, we're, get, we're getting some complicated stuff here. How about, how about we look at something that Alexander Hamilton said? And this is, this is kind of a big deal. It's in the Federalist paper. Uh, he, he did the Federalist paper. Well, a bunch of them, most of them, to be honest, came from Alexander Hamilton. And number 70, there's a line, there's a few lines in there. I'm going to read them to you. Energy in the executive is a leading character in the definition of good government. In other words, 
the executive branch has got to do one hell of a job for you and for me. They have to. It says that right there. It is essential to the protection of the community against foreign attacks. Okay, that's good. That's why you know the uh, the president is you know is the chief. He sees oversees um, all the military operations. So that's good. It is not less essential to the steady administration of the laws. Now, there are some question marks going on in that, but I'm not talking about that right now. Just keep that in mind for maybe a future podcast. To the protection of property against those irregular and high-handed combinations which sometimes interrupt the ordinary course of justice. Whew, that's a mouthful. To the security of liberty. There's that word again, liberty. Against the enterprises and assaults of ambition, of faction, and anarchy. The executive branch has a responsibility to put in their place, at least in, in communication, like through, say right now, it would be through somebody like Kamala Harris or, you know, there's a whole bunch of, of, of people in the executive branch that could be the mouthpiece at any given time. Right? Kareem Jean-Pierre. And the role, let me reread that part at the very, very end again. The role is against enterprises and assaults of ambition, of faction, and of anarchy. So that would be any group that is using violence to incite fear, whether that be MAGA, whether that be BLM, uh, whether that be, um, you know, these conspiracy theorists or like, it's not about the words. It's about their behaviors. That's what it's saying. Now, do the words matter? I mean, the words can lead to behaviors. Yeah, of course. We got to pay attention to their words, but there is a threshold it must cross before violence is an option. And that threshold is it has to become violent in some way, physical at least. And that means that our government, in particular the executive branch, has a responsibility to that in internal American affairs. And if they're not doing it, here's the weird part. When you read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, when you read the real content, if the government doesn't step in and do their job, it becomes the right of the people to do the job. Now, I am again going to clarify, I am not saying go out and be violent. But peaceful protest, like we've been doing that since the beginning of our country. A peaceful protest is normal activity in the United States. 
absolutely peaceful protest. And if others come in and create violence, then we have a right to defend ourselves in that situation, which is tricky because how are you going to prove that in the court of law? It gets pretty, pretty gray, pretty tricky space, which is why the executive branch needs to step in and be the one to do that, to protect us against foreign attacks and internal attacks. That makes sense. What that does is it protects you and me psychologically. I don't want to go to some, you know, uh, protest and be attacked. I think that that would be a horrible situation psychologically for me or for anybody out there. And yet if it happens and the federal government, the executive branch in particular, according to Alexander Hamilton, doesn't step in, then we have the right to defend ourselves using reasonable violence. Huh. Now, you're probably thinking, wow, Jeremiah, you're really pushing the envelope. Not really. This is nothing new. I haven't used anything current yet, like today. Well, that's not totally true. I did use the written out stuff, but only as an example, not as a justification. So now I'm going to jump into a little bit something, a little bit, a little bit more tricky here. The Washington Post, January 1st of 2022, wrote an article. I actually don't have the title of the article, but within the article, they said 62% of those polled say violence against government is never justified. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The inception of America was because government was overreaching and being violent to the people. Go back, read the history. So my question is, how are 60, well, first of all, I don't know the accuracy of the poll, but how is it even possible to do a poll in the United States and get 62% of them to say that it's never justified to be violent against government. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to be violent against government. And maybe, maybe I would fall close to that never category. But it's not a never, and it can't be a never in the United States. When I was in the Marine Corps, I defended the rights for people to protest peacefully and say really dumb things. And that was, that was okay. Why? Because the moment that we put a hundred percent of trust into our government is the moment we become a dictatorship. Here, let me flip this on you and just consider this. Just consider this. Uh, again, no way am I saying go be violent. And then no way am I saying go be violent to the government. But take a listen to this. Let's assume for a moment that was true. That we should never be violent towards the government. And let's say 
something really weird happens and the government decides the president can serve for their entire life. Now, there's a lot of things that you would think would stop that, but just play along with me for a second. Because this path, this path that we're going down, it could lead to some you know, group of people really forcing that issue. I mean, it's kind of far-fetched and I'm not a conspiracy guy. It's just not my thing. But let's say that were the case. Is it then okay? Should we potentially consider the idea of violence at that point? Because what we've essentially created, maybe we did it through democracy, but it became a dictatorship. Holy smokes, that's a problem. And in a situation like that, which is why in the Declaration of Independence, it suggests that there could come a time to overthrow the government. Now, this is not that time, at least from my perception, but like I'm a therapist. I'm, you know, I'm just a guy talking about the violence piece of it. All right. From a therapeutic lens. Yes, I'm branching into all these really complex parts of it. But let's play it out. Psychologically, we now have a situation where not we can't trust the government because they have too much power. It is not divided three ways with, you know, with the way that the original constitution was written. It has now become more of a dictatorship. And that is not who we are, at least who we have been. And some people might argue, well, maybe we should. I don't support that. That's not something I would ever vote for. But there could come a time where my vote really doesn't matter. And I don't trust the government. Now, I wouldn't go to violence first, but is it, is it increasingly an option if the government can't be trusted? It is increasingly an option at that point. Of course, once all the other options are, uh, are used up and not effective. So let's paint it like this. If we went down this path and truly 62% of those polled really believe never be violent against your government, which I generally fall close to that, but it's not a never for me. Because oppression can come from that, right? We've seen that in every single culture since the beginning of time, as far as we know it. You know, every written culture. We would essentially be saying, if we could never be violent against our own government, then our government should never be violent against, I don't know, Putin and Russia, uh, China, um, you know, any other you know, nation uh, that incites violence against us. We should not respond in kind. We shouldn't. Why? Because we are not a government for the people. At that point, it's not for the people. The people don't trust the government. It's a government that says, well, let's just get in bed with whoever we want. I'm going to buddy up with this nation that is clearly corrupt and I don't care 
Why? Because my people cannot be violent against me. I, there is no threat. I get to sit up here and I get to be almighty. And the little peons down there, they could never rise up against me. I just flipped the coin. And I did it because I just want you to consider, consider, could there come a time where violence is an option? I mean, I could foresee that. I don't think we are in it. And I'm not condoning it. Even that would have psychological, sociological, and some serious cultural effects. The last time something like that happened, we had a civil war. Brother against brother. Father against son. It was terrible on the psyche of the people. And yet, Many would even argue, because what it was doing was abolishing slavery, that it was necessary. It was necessary. That's kind of a weird thing to think, that violence could, in certain circumstances, be necessary. Now, here at Healthy Perspectives, I just want to reiterate a couple things. One, I'm not condoning violence. I know I've said that many times, but I don't want there to be any confusion. What I am saying is there could come a time where violence is the best option. And we can't be naive to that. Not only that, but there are psychological, sociological, cultural, spiritual consequences should it ever escalate to that point. No matter how you want to paint it, no matter how justifiable it is, it will have long-lasting impacts on individuals, groups, and the American culture should violence ever become the best option. With that, my hope is I'm leaving you with lots of questions, many less answers, because what I'm trying to do, remember here at Healthy Perspectives, is help you look at things differently. Challenge your thinking, challenge your, your processing, and poke holes in those biases and those blind spots that you and I carry on a regular basis. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.